Greetings, everyone. Welcome back for another Naval History edition of the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Eric Mills, Editor-in-Chief of Naval History Magazine. Great to have you with us again today. Um, we have a very intriguing, very um, unusual, uh, slightly cloak and dagger offering for you today. And the article is literally hot off the press, uh, appearing in Naval History Online today, making its debut there. And uh, we're having a special podcast to tie in with it to mark its um, unveiling on the website. Um, joining me today is Adam Minikowski, who's assistant archivist in the Special Collections and Archives Department of the U.S. Naval Academy's Nimitz Library. You've heard me extolling the greatness of the Nimitz Library on this uh, podcast before. It is, um, If you're into this sort of thing, it is just simply the greatest library ever. So we're thrilled that it's here on the Academy Yard and um, the Special Collections uh, Department of it is just, that's like the lodestone. And um, Adam's got an amazing story to show us that he unearthed uh, from the uh, archives, uh, a forgotten piece of um, World War One history in Annapolis and uh, the bizarre tale of a, a midshipman, uh, his mother, who was, shall we say, somewhat eccentric, and um, all sorts of suspicious activities and the threats of espionage during World War One. And it's all is this stew of amazing, unusual story that was just literally kind of buried in the vaults. And now it's there for the public. Thanks to our guest today. Adam, thank you for joining us today. Uh, no problem, Eric. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So um, why don't you, before we dive into the bizarre and somewhat actually lurid story itself, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you um, came across it, how you discovered it working in the archives there. Sure. Uh, one of the um, uh, requests that we get a lot here is we have the records of the midshipmen during their time here. And so a lot of times alumni come or uh, descendants of, of the alumni uh, come uh, requesting the personnel jackets of, uh, from their time at the academy. So we we get them uh they're all on microfilm at this point and we scan them and and send them out and it was just in the process of uh doing one of these requests and looking in this reel of personnel jackets from the class of 1920 that i come across this personnel jacket that's seems a lot bigger than all of the other ones on this reel of film so i just stopped to say hey what, what's going on with this and um and boy did i find out what was going yeah. on yeah. So, yeah, a very um, heftier than usual personnel jacket yep. is the red flag. For yes. Therein lies a tale. Yep. So um, what you've unearthed there is a quite a um, bizarre story of um, and it, it, it bespeaks the, uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, the anti-German hysteria that gripped this country during World War One. Once we entered the war, particularly. Mm -hmm. um, so why don't you tell us about. The Strange Saga of Midshipman William Beresford Krebs Shope. I believe we have a picture of him. Yes, there's a, I think we have a picture of him and um, there it is from the uh, Library of Congress. So yes, so Midsh Midshipman Shope. Uh, he uh, joined the Academy in um, 1915 and in uh, 1918 was uh, forced to resign from the Academy because his mother was suspected of being a German spy and um, and either wittingly or unwittingly, he may have been helping her 
to uh, spy on American military strength. Um, the uh, part of the reasons that for the suspicions is uh, his mother had um, married a officer in the German army who was currently uh, serving in, in the German army on the Western front uh, at the time. So that's sort of like the thumbnail sketch of the story. Sure. So this is basically uh, Midshipman Shope's stepfather. Yes. It's uh, Mother Shope's um, second husband, I believe. Third, third actually. Third husband, right. Yes. right. Yes. yes. Yeah, Shope's father had died of cancer in 1902. Mm -hmm. And uh, so his mother remarries in 1906 to a German baron that gives her the title of baroness that uh, follows her for the rest of her life. Um, she is frequently re referred to as the baroness and that's the shorthand mm -hmm. we, we refer to her. And, um, but uh, it looks like he was abusive. So they divorced in 1909. Shortly thereafter, uh, she meets a, a German army officer, William Wilhelm Zollner, and they marry pretty quickly. And that's the, stepfather who is fighting on the, on the Western front. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's a couple German husbands in a row. And then uh, mm -hmm. suddenly the world's at war. And uh, <laughs> yes. after 17, Germany's the foe. So yep. it's an unusual situation to find um, a midshipman enrolled at the Naval Academy. And his stepfather is fighting for the German side on the Western front. I can yes. see how just that's even if everything was hunky dory beyond that, I can see how that would raise suspicions in the right. tenor of the times. Absolutely. However, there were some things that go on that lead to a certain sense of something fishy is going on here. Um, what, how did that come about? Yeah, so the, um, I think because of the situation, they, um, the administration of the Naval Academy very quickly assess what, what the deal is here. So you have uh, the U.S. entering the war in April of 1917, and in uh, Shope's personnel jacket. There's a there's notes of someone, maybe the superintendent, maybe the commandant. I don't know, um, who had talked to Shope about um, what his parents' ethnicity was. Um, you know, what contact does he have with his stepfather? Um, what relationship have they had? And you know, what's your what's your citizenship? Do you correspond with your stepfather? Um, and also around the same time, we've got the um, uh, director of um, naval intelligence uh, has opened a investigation. Um, they're just uh, uh, mother. The Baroness is now living in a boarding house, maybe Carvel Hall. I'm not sure. Um, right outside the academy, and uh, some people who live with her uh, have been reporting to authorities that. Uh, she has German sympathies and, and might be spying. And um, so Naval Intelligence opens an investigation to see uh, if there's if there's anything actually going on here. And um, at this point in May of 1917, they say, um, no, um, it's based on gossip and malicious exaggeration. Uh, she is thoroughly, thoroughly loyal and has done nothing to warrant criticism. Um, but she's complaining that she's been watched for months and uh, her mail is being opened and read. Um, 
there's reports of other midshipmen saying that she's been asking them about uh, ship movements and other military matters, and um, and where the um, where the rubber really meets the road is actually comes in December of 1917, where uh, she is found with a army officer who used to be a classmate of Shope. Um, he got kicked out of the academy and then. Um, joined the army and um, they are found together um, in a hotel room uh, very late at night and um, they are arrested and uh, they find they take her letters that were in the hotel safe and there's these strange codes that um, they were exchanging in letters and that's when the real uh business of, of spying really gets gets going yeah there are quite a few um bright crimson flags in that little anecdote yes. so there's more than meets the eye to this um fellow midshipman who gets expelled his name is uh john spalding john right? spalding yep not only did he um well he didn't get expelled he failed out pardon me yep but not only did he uh fail out of the academy it was the baroness that managed to wangle him a commission in the army afterwards she's already kind of sort of caring let's say about yes yes yeah Yeah. uh yes and they and they he was living in the same boarding house as her for um most of 1917 um especially after he got uh after he got kicked out and his claims was that she suffered from attacks spells or something so um she and or he and uh um, the Baroness's other son, um, Bedford Shope, had to sit up with her um, mm-hmm. to oh. prevent these attacks. Oh, yeah. So. She had the papers. They had to stay up with her. Okay. Yes, yes. Um, and so then they find her in a hotel room with them in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yeah. Um, it's 19. It's the early. It's the 19 teens. They can't look good. No, no. Even if they're the same age. In fact, uh, he's a former fellow midshipman of her son. Yes. It's just kind of strange. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I've I think she's 44 at the time. He's 22, I think. Yeah, I'm not judging. I'm just saying, well, it looks yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and also uh, this code. I mean, there's, now they're finding these things written in code. I mean, it, it I can I can understand how there would be a lot of suspicion arisen um, by naval intelligence. They have to be careful about this kind of thing at this point. And, um, yeah. Absolutely. Isn't there also, there's, there's a sense that um, the Baroness may have, she had some uh, relation uh, connections to the Roosevelt clan through marriage. Yes. And there's a sense she may have actually used her connections to get um, Shope appointed to the Naval, to get his commission in the Naval Academy and um, appointment to the Naval Academy. Mm-hmm. And this, the idea would be that would allow her to meet other aspiring officers, pick more people's brains about um, gaining access to a military installation. Uh, there also is a sense I get from it, the, the further you read into the story and the more you hear about some of the things that she says and does, that she clearly does seem to have German sympathies. And uh, and maybe some of this is the persecution complex that you get when your mail's being opened and you're being harangued all the time. I mean, that does not sound fun, but I have to say it's one of those where there's smoke, there's fire looking situations. Well, how did it unfold for um, poor midshipman Shope, who's a little bit in the middle of this? There's some sense that he's part of it, too, though, at first, right? 
Yes. Um, and, you know, the, the, um, the question is, is uh, if she is spying, is he a willing accomplice or is um, he an unwilling accomplice who is just really devoted to his mom and uh, gives any information that, that she asks? So, um, so yes, this is after um, after she's arrested and is being charged by the, the DA in um, uh, Tennessee with um with espionage and uh he sends uh the superintendent edward eberly uh several letters between um mother and son and um and it's funny highlights the um incriminating uh passages in, in each in each one um and there's uh, stuff like he's uh, before he enters the academy, he's studying at the Southern School to prepare for the entrance exams. And they um, he reports that he's hanging out with this uh, German shopkeeper in town and they're having a good time. And uh, they teach Schope to how to, the lyrics to Deutschland über alles, uh, uh, Germany above all. And um, uh and there's uh, there's another letter actually with a, with another uh, relative of the family uh, asking, um, can you send me more sketches of the uh, uh, from the academy of ships of uniforms and insignia, um, and uh, that looks a little. Um, that looks a little suspicious. Uh, on the other hand, something I've learned since I wrote um, the article is that uh, I guess uh, Shope seems to be quite the artist. Um, there are uh, cartoons of his that appear in the Midshipman publication, the Midshipman magazine, the log of the U.S. Naval Academy. Oh. Yeah. So, um, and um, so, yeah, so it's, uh, it, uh, oh, and uh he invites his mother to attend a uh, hop at the academy, and while well, he's a plebe, and at this time plebes aren't allowed to dance at hops, but he's arranged for her to dance with uh, a few of his friends, and notes that they are all uh, uh, have German sympathies. Very, very, very suspicious. Yes. Now the soup eventually forbids um, the Baroness' mother from entering the naval academy anymore, doesn't he? Right. Yeah. And um, one of the things after the U.S. entered the war is they have to figure out uh, how the Enemy Aliens Act and the Espionage Act apply to her because uh, these uh, prevent um, uh, anybody suspected of, uh, of uh, anybody suspicious from coming within a half mile of any military installation. And there's a note early on that from a from the baroness's attorney that points out um that the uh enemy aliens act uh specifically prevents men from approaching uh military installations and that since she's a woman she's exempt from that there's a whole there's some back and forth uh but it does end up being that uh ruling that uh the superintendent can't control where she goes in Annapolis. He has no say over the city of Annapolis, but she is not allowed to enter the academy. And this engenders some bitterness within the son, does it not? I mean, he, he's playing, he's doing a good job here. He's being, you know, following all the military decorum, but he's clearly becoming resentful 
about yes. this. Yeah, there's a uh, in this is now October of uh, 1917, and uh, the commandant interviews uh, Shope uh, about um, about the uh, about the mother, and um, he said he comes away from the conversation and says, although he's outwardly respectful, he is inwardly resentful, insubordinate, and disloyal. And the following day, you get a letter from Shope to the superintendent um, asking if, if, if his mom can visit him um, and, and brings back the half mile uh, radius from the uh, from a military installation. And in this note, uh, asks, um, well, there's two theaters on, in State Circle. Can they go uh, can they go see uh, the movies or uh can they go to the theaters? Um, is that inside the half mile limit? Uh, if she stays in this place, is that inside the half mile limit? You could really kind of get this picture of the sun really being difficult. Um, yeah. I'm really having trouble grappling with the family dynamic of, uh, of this mother and son situation. Um, he's very, yeah, he's very embittered about um, them excluding her from coming on the grounds here. And it's starting to um, manifest itself in ways that the authorities here can tell. Um, but at the same time, his mother clearly is flirting and, you know, being involved with friends of his. And I just, I can't understand the dynamic where that, why, but he's still feeling so fiercely loyal to her. It's going to basically end up kneecapping his career here. Right. So, I, I mean, it just, there's a lot more there than meets the eye and um, it's just hard to get a handle on it. Um, either they're extremely open-minded people <laughs> for 1917, 1918, or he's like, about, you know, what's going on right around him. I mean, yeah. So, anyway, I, I, I wonder if you have any thoughts about that. It's just, at this point, we're merely speculating at the human side of it all, but mm -hmm. it is rather unusual. Uh, yes, I, I I really do wonder about that myself, and unfortunately, there's not. I, I've never seen anything that really talks about uh, the relationship between the two and how he reacts to all this. But yes, the other thing that is going on during all of this allegations of spying and so forth is, um, and uh, this comes out in the a little bit um, in the personnel jacket a little after Shope leaves but um there is a report from a midshipman who's a year behind shope and uh spent a year in the same boarding house where the baroness is is living and he reports that uh she's having midshipmen over to uh her rooms she's giving them alcohol and i'm trying to remember the specific phrase he used something like uh uh, her relations with them was not above suspicion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got to read. Here. I, I want to read this verbatim because it's sure. very, um, it's very damning and very telling. This is yeah. from um, Midshipman G. L. Richmeyer. Yes, who had claimed to have information about her, and he he said she was most conspicuous in her behavior, often drunk at the dinner table, and when in this condition was profane and coarse. She constantly had midshipmen out there and gave them liquor to drink, and on numerous occasions. Her actions and familiarity with them were not above suspicion. Yeah, there you go. Yep. She also received visits from one or more instructors attached <laughs> to the Naval Academy. Yes. 
So wow, uh, that's a, you know that's kind of the some apparent you don't want to hear on Parents Day. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yes, um, that's just. Uh, I mean, it feels like that alone would have gotten her ousted, you know, banished from being here because there's right, so right. many wrong things in that narrative yes. as far as her dealing with the mids. Yeah. Uh, the other one I liked is uh, the same let this letter that I referred to before, where he invites her to the hop to dance with some um, sy uh, sympathies with uh, midshipmen who have German sympathies. Uh, he also says, um, uh, Please don't wear the backless dress that you like. Um, it's uh, that? it's a little too risque. Yeah. Um, hmm. And it's funny. So, like, you know, clearly the letter it was the German sympathies passage that caught the uh, that was why this letter was being referred mm -hmm. to. But yeah, you see this. Um, you see this. Uh, you know, don't wear the sexy dress to the uh, the hop with all the midshipmen. Um, that's what jumps out that's mm -hmm. what jumps out to me and um that, so yeah, yeah that's suggestive of he kind of knows what's going on he's mm -hmm. he's dancing with mids with alleged german sympathies it's a way for them to like convey information you're dancing you're saying oh yeah well uh, you know you can give info while you're just but at the same time he kind of does not like his mom being a little risque with his friends uh, right right so if he doesn't like that he does care about that but he's the one who's arranging her to dance with them, there may mm -hmm. be some ulterior reason to do that. But yeah. he doesn't like yeah. the, the squishy part of that. Right, right. But um, yes, uh, he, he technically resigns, Midshipman Shope resigns in February 18. Uh, is there a sense that it was like he walked before they made him run? Or Yes, yeah, they, they made it uh, in... The administration's correspondence and correspondence with the Secretary of the Navy, they made it clear that they're going to give him the ultimatum, resign, or you're going to be dropped. You're going to be kicked mm -hmm. out. It doesn't leave you much choice. Right. Now, in the end, it's kind of a sad thing in the end, isn't it? Because um, let me get to this here. It's it's after it's, it's what, what he goes on to do after he leaves here. Yeah. Um, so um in addition to the midshipman jackets, we also have the alumni jackets right. uh, that the alumni society collected and uh, just gives uh, some info about the uh, alum the later careers of the alumni. And there's not much in Shope's jack alumni jacket, but uh, it it does say that he did end up serving in the Naval Reserve and got campaign medals in both World War One and World War Two. So it does look like he generally wanted to serve in the Navy at some point along the way, there was an accusation that the only reason he joined the Naval Academy was his mother's um, direction uh, so that, uh, so that they could spy. Um, and he protested the entire time that he's not a spy. He has no interest in spying. He really wants to serve in the Navy. And it does appear that that was true. It, it does. Um, yeah. I mean, even after the ignominious falling out here, he um, enjoys a pretty, um, pretty decent naval career yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Which kind of puts the lie to the idea that he was just a plant here to help her as like her, a, a mole in her spy operation. Right. Exactly. Um, what about now the F is it the FBI that is I forget the federal agency that investigates the Chatt Chattanooga hotel arrest. 
Um, some other Fed is getting involved in this. Am I mistaken on that? I'm just look back here. Um, Naval There's intelligence a, was doing a lot. Yeah. Um, okay. Maybe I'm just thinking of that. Um, I did there conclude. I mean, once he leaves the academy, that kind of ends it as far as they're concerned. He's she's um, been ousted from being able to have a nefarious influence here. So she ends up being kind of an open-ended case, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. The, 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 the story, the, the fallout with her is uh, October, 1918. She is arrested for violating the conditions of her bail is ordered to uh, Fort Oglethorpe uh, to spend, uh, to be there for the, re the remainder of the war. However, uh, Spanish influenza has just broken out there. So they decide there's, that they don't want to bring other people to get, um, mm -hmm. to get sick. Uh, so she stays in New York and um, until the, the, uh, the, the, the pandemic ends and, um, and, and she can stay in trial. And before that happens, the war ends. So mm -hmm. they conclude there's no point. Um, mm -hmm. And then she ends up dying in a car accident in 1932. A colorful life. That's yes, sure. absolutely. Um, well, there's a lot of um, open-ended things here it's one of these historical mysteries that you don't have all the clues to i mean we still don't know who jack the ripper was right you know whatever you know the black dahlia you know there's always things like this yeah and so this is always going to be consigned to that but i think you can sort of glean from what you've found here that it's very likely she was involved in some espionage related activity had german sympathies Whereas her son, Midshipman Shope, it's not quite as damning a case against him. It's no. almost like he's an unwitting, um, he's caught in the middle of all this to some degree. Yes. Would you, is that your conclusion as well? Or Yeah, I, you know, I, I think I'm not entirely convinced about whether she was actually spying. Um, and, and maybe, uh, I, I don't know, just the view from a distance and I, I can certainly see how if you are caught up in the hysteria like yes there is an awful lot of smoke here mm -hmm. um so um but i i i don't necessarily see fire you know, one mm -hmm. of the things is they never really showed uh communications from her um to her husband to any other uh people affiliated with the um German military. Right. Um, so yes, I don't, I, I don't, I don't see that, but, but yes, there is, there's absolutely a lot of smoke. Um, a lot of circumstantial evidence. Yes. A whole lot of right. circumstantial evidence. Right. Um, yeah. I, um, and you know, the lack of direct communication with him, the person who's feeling she's guilty would say, well, she's not going to be that obvious. Right. Right. Someone, and yeah. you know, and uh, Shope says that uh, he think like his he thinks his mom has been in communication with his stepfather. So oh, okay, um, right. You know, just it because she wouldn't be. I mean, you're usually in touch with your husband if he's in war, whichever side. Right. Trying to find out how he's doing. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, very strange, and mm -hmm. uh, I kind of feel for midshipman Shope. However. It's not his yeah. fault who his mom was and the things she did. I feel like she would have compromised his career here regardless. 
just because we're acting out sort of behavior as it was. Um, but then you add all this other, uh, all these other aspects to it. Yes. And you add the paranoia about these kind of things that had mm -hmm. gripped America at the time. We forget how big a deal this was. I mean, it's like when they try to rename French fries, freedom fries. Right. In right. Or two thousands. Cause France wouldn't back us in the Iraq play. And, yep. um, there was a similar kind of mania in the, in world war one America, uh, and German Americans, people forget this. They were like the largest, I guess you call it an ethnic group in the country mm -hmm. at that point, and mm -hmm. were considered just exemplary um, Americans in the sense of being thrifty, hardworking, family oriented, all the things define like solid bedrock American people. And then suddenly, if your name's Schmidt, you're having to change it to Smith. Yep. You know, Frankfurters are hot dogs, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, so it very much was a um, very tense time. And I certainly didn't blame naval intelligence for taking a long, hard, serious look at this. I mean, you can only be too careful. You can't, you can't be too careful. Right, right. Sort of thing. Yeah. And that's what um, the, uh, the superintendent says over, over and over again, is that it is not in the best interest of the government that they remain uh on the yard and mm -hmm. that um the government should get the benefit of the doubt um, mm -hmm. that you know acknowledging that no there's no there's no smoking gun here but it's there's a lot of smoke <laughs> um right but and uh but yeah i think you're right with the whole the whole point about her um her behavior otherwise would have uh been a problem and so there is there is part of me that looks at you know, with uh, with the spying, like there's a lot of smoke. I don't particularly see a fire. With her carrying on with the midshipmen, there's a lot of smoke, and there's fire because yes, she was eventually caught with um, having a relationship with a uh, person she met at that who was a midshipman at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so there's fire there, and and I wonder if. Um, how much how much particularly the superintendent Everly believed that there was spying going on or whether that was the pretext that was just mm -hmm. like this is this is how we just get rid of this whatever's going on right. we get get rid of this once for all sadly in the end it does seem like midshipman was a victim of yeah. his circumstances yeah he got caught in the switches but the very parent who managed to get him an uh, appointment here is right, the very, right. who sabotages his ability to be here and succeed here. Yeah. A strange, ironic tale unearthed from the vaults of the first draft of history. Yeah. Adam, if you ever come across any other gems like this, we're going to love to hear about it. <laughs> and I think the public will, too. This is an amazing story. A forgotten yeah. piece of World War One Annapolis espionage lore that yeah. um, was a scandal in the day at the time, but um, it's been all but forgotten, and it makes you wonder about how many other nuggets like this are lie there hidden in mundane records files of, like, you know, personnel jackets and alumni association records and whatnot. Yep. History's never done. Who nope. knows what other stories are out there? Yep. And uh, your eagle eye uh, found this one, and I hope you'll find some more. And, I'll uh, definitely, um, I'm, I'm definitely on the lookout for more fat personnel jackets. Yeah, and, well, God uh, bless the archivists because yep. you guys are in the front line of this kind of thing. And um, uh, congratulations on this one. It's uh, quite thank amazing. You. Thanks. I appreciate uh, it. And thank you for joining us, Adam. We hope to see you again sometime with another such tale.
Uh, I think that's about it for us, folks. Uh, thanks for uh, joining us for another edition of the Naval History Podcast, presented by the Proceedings Podcast, and broadcasting here from Beach Hall, headquarters of the U.S. Naval Institute, where we're always having conversations and discussions about the past, present, and future of the fleet. And if you want to be part of that conversation, you should be a member of the Naval Institute. Hopefully, you are probably already are, but if you're not, I recommend you go to that Chiron link and get become part of it, art part of it today, part of Naval's, Naval, the U.S. Navy's heritage, and part of the debates that it faces in the current world we're in today. Um, until next time, fair winds and following seas to all of you, and uh, we hope to see you back here again very soon. I'm Eric Mills, signing off. Take care. <laughs>